Pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside Church. You have enough. There's no secret handshake, no password, no higher secret knowledge, no ritual that you need. And you've been anointed by the Holy One. You are, you are saved because you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit because you have trusted God. You've believed the gospel and that's what you need to know. You all have sufficient powers of discernment and possess sufficient revelation. I can see the promised land Though there's pain within the plan There is victory in the end Your love is my battle cry The answer for all my life Every dragon will fall The mountains will move Every chain of the past You've broken into All the fear of the lies We're singing the truth That nothing is impossible With you Well, hello and welcome to today's edition of the Grace to Live radio broadcast with Keith Crosby, Senior Pastor of Hillside Church in San Jose, California. We are so blessed that you've chosen to spend time with us today on the broadcast. And as always, we would encourage you to follow along with us in your Bibles if you can. On today's edition of Grace to Live, Pastor Keith continues with our series in the book of 1 John, a series entitled, That You May Know... So if you have your Bibles, please turn with us today to the book of 1 John, chapter 2. Now here's Pastor Keith with today's study. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for this day. This is a day that you've made, a day that we can, as the song says, rejoice and be glad in. Father, we are grateful for this nation, Lord, this nation among nations, Lord, this We're grateful for this church family. We're grateful for this meeting house that we get together in here, this building. And we're grateful above all for our salvation, which we could not earn, which we did not deserve, but yet you'd bestowed it upon us in grace and mercy and love. As we continue our series in 1 John, Lord, by this we know. As we consider the tests of life, Lord, and Some of the blunt things that John has to say, we were reminded that he says them in grace and truth and truth and love. He is at once a son of thunder and the apostle of love, Lord. Help us learn from his example as he learned from Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So we return to our series. By this we know it's a study in 1 John. 1 John, among other things, is filled with tests of life. By this we know we are in him, we love the brothers. And we, First John is a, is a mirror often that we can gaze into and see ourselves reflected through the lens of God's word and understand perhaps where we stand in eternity. Uh, we may have thought we were saved. We may have grown up in a Christian home. We may have assumed a lot of things, but 1 John gives us these tests, and these are tough tests to look at, and we've been looking at these tests. Today, we look at a sort of a different test. Uh, It's both a test for us and a test for how we approach our faith and approach truth, 
and understand the context in which we minister today, a context in which I believe the church has always ministered. The trouble started at the birth of the church in the first century and has continued on. And so today's message is entitled, Making It a Priority to Recognize the Enemy. And our text today is 1 John 2, 18 to 27. And just to remind you of what's going on here, John has written this letter. It's a circular letter, but it first went, we believe, to the church at Ephesus after they had been traumatized by false teachers and false teaching. Uh, Many believers were confused. They had been told different things by what we believe were Gnostics, people who believed in secret knowledge, you know, the people of secret passwords almost and secret handshakes and uh, they believed that it wasn't what you did for Christ it wasn't how you lived that was an indicative of your salvation the fruit born out of it it was what you knew and they had there was always a little extra revelation that made them special little has changed today and so the church was confused they were eventually confronted and they departed and they, did, and they went out hard and they shook the church up. And so John writes to reassure the believer of his or her place in the kingdom of God, but also to challenge those who may have bought into this teaching, who may have engaged in this teaching. And when you, when you look at 1 John, one of the things that strikes you, I think, is that more things change, the more they remain the same. We're living in just as confusing times from the Christian church. I mean, you know, look at the era in which we live. We confirm a Supreme Court justice and they ask her, what's a woman? And she says, I don't know, I'm not a biologist. Or you have this whole ideology being uh, peddled in the school system. And so you have, to have a, you have to have a documentary, like what is a woman? You... You look at the, one of the largest, the largest denomination in America, and right now they've formed a committee to study what is a pastor. Uh, you look at other denominations who basically say for their churches, hey, it's up for you to determine what the truth is. You do what's right. I remember reading about R.C. Sproul. When he first came to Christ, he went to talk to his pastor, and as they chatted, his pastor told him that if he believed in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he was a darned fool. Uh, he didn't use that word exactly. Uh, and what you see is, is that the church has always been challenged and is being challenged. Today you have the new perspective on Paul, which really goes back to Genesis 3, hath God really said. Open theism, that God doesn't know the future, that's just been rehashed a few times, even though Isaiah says that God declares the end from the beginning. And so there's a lot of confusion and division in the church. But it shouldn't surprise us. This is the way it's always been. There have always been false teachers. There's always been people willing to compromise things that could not or should not be compromised, the go-along-to-get-along kind of thing. And so today's passage helps us to understand what's at work here. You're going to hear the word antichrist in today's passage. Well, there's two kinds of antichrist. I would say antichrist, capital A, the antichrist, who's yet to show. And then there are antichrists, 
little a, small case a, which are those who find themselves through hook or by crook opposing God's program by chipping away at the foundation by compromising things they should not compromise. And then there are other little antichrists, little a, who, who are just out-and-out out false teachers. We see that around us in the world today. And so I give you 1 John two eighteen through 27. Children, here's that term of endearment, that term of affection. It is the last hour And as you have heard, as you have already heard, in other words, that Antichrist is coming. So now, many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. Again, here's this crisis in the local church. Paul is reminding them that the the Antichrist, excuse me, John is reminding them that the Antichrist, the Antichrist is coming Perhaps he's referring to the man of lawlessness in, in First and Second Thessalonians. And this church is in upheaval because of these little antichrists who come in and taught all kinds of strange things. And so John writes to reassure and to clarify. And in verse 19, he offers an initial word of clarification. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, They would have continued with us. Instead, they chose to divide. But they went out that it might become plain, that it might become painfully obvious that they are all not of us. So he seeks to reassure them, look, these people have left and you grieve for them. Grieve. But they were not our people. They were not of us at all. And the fact that they've gone out the way they've gone is confirmation that they are not of the church. They are not of Christ. Hence the word antichrist, little a, you might say. Then he goes on in verse 20. But you have been anointed by the Holy One and you have all knowledge. Now this all, excuse me, but you have been anointed by the Holy One and you all have knowledge. He's not a southerner. He's not saying you all have knowledge. But what he's telling them is this, is that you have the Holy Spirit, you basically have the Word of God, and you have all the knowledge, all the revelation you need and are going to get. You know, John is writing right before the close of the canon of Scripture, before the book of Revelation, And he's telling them, you have all you need to know. You have enough. There's no secret handshake, no password, no higher secret knowledge, no ritual that you need. And you've been anointed by the Holy One. You are are saved because you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit because you have trusted God. You've believed the gospel and that's what you need to know. You all have sufficient powers of discernment and possess sufficient revelation. And he continues in verse 21. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and because no lie is of the truth. What lie? Verse 22. Who is a liar 
but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist. Now here, grammatically and contextually, this is the profile of the Antichrist, that he denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you, stick to you, remain in you, dwell in you, stay in you. If you heard, if what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is a promise he made to us, eternal life. He who believes in me, though he die, will not perish. So he's clarifying for them, look, anybody who tampers with the Son, with the identity of Christ, with that Jesus is the Christ, that God came in the flesh, that Christ was, that Jesus was the Christ, is, that's the profile of the Antichrist. Look at the cults today, they all toy and play with the deity of Christ And so he's saying, you have eternal life. You have put your faith in the Son. That's the promise that you have. Don't worry about this stuff, but just understand who you're dealing with. And in verse 26, he explains, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you have received in him abides in you And you have no need that anyone should teach you. Oh, wait a minute. Somebody's going to say, you always see this. Well, I don't need to be taught because once I'm saved, I believe in Jesus and that's all I need. He's not saying that. He's really talking about anyone should teach you new revelation, secret knowledge, heretofore never revealed before. But his anointing teaches you about everything. His anointing guides you, grants you discernment about everything and is true and is no lie. Just as it has taught you, abide in him. Basically, cling to what is true. Cling to what you know is true. Cling to what you have heard from the beginning. So here we are in 1 John. We're starting a new section. It's part of the same letter and the same conversation, right? Letters are like conversations. They have a beginning, middle, and an end. And while he's turning a corner, it's still connected to everything that came before the test of life. Earlier, John told his readers that the world is passing away, and he warns them to realize that the junk of this world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, this is not what they're all about. And it's against this, against this backdrop that he focuses them on what they are to cling to, what they are to remember, and what they're to be on guard against. This is just as much a test of life as everything that's come before it. And he has this concern for the rise of active opposition to the Christian faith. Now certainly attacks then and there, as they do here and now, come from outside the church. We know that, too, because from church history, John is going to be banished to exile in Patmos, and he's going to write the book of Revelation and close out the canon of Scripture, and all new revelation will cease. But there are also 
people who trouble, troublers, you know, a heretic, we use that word, and it almost sounds like a swear word, he's a heretic. It just means a troublemaker. Troublemakers would arise from within the church and creep in almost unnoticed, at least initially, until they found the following they want and they're caught. And so God's people then and now, having heard the true gospel that was from the beginning, either from the mouth of the apostle directly in those days, or hearing the voice of the apostle through the pages of scripture, needed to be warned against this false teaching, against this chipping away at the foundations. Sometimes false teaching was over the top, like with the Gnostics. Other times it's just a little bit of a question here and there from somebody who's always learning but never arriving at the truth. Has God really said And so having heard that was from the beginning, having the anointing that comes through the Holy Spirit in the form of discernment, the believer should not be led astray. And so John writes to warn them and you by extension. John writes to prepare them for the onslaught that is going to come. And he begins with a term of endearment, little children or beloved. And then he makes his larger point. It's like last week when I was talking about when my father would correct me, he would, there would be sort of the, what I used to refer to as the artillery barrage, then the statement, you know, I love you, boy, and then the summary and the restoration and the clarification. So what do we glean from this passage? What do I want you to take away today are four keys to recognizing the enemy so that you can serve Christ faithfully within this church and out there in the world by separating truth from lies by avoiding compromise that is unnecessary and unholy. Making it a priority to recognize the enemy requires us to do, number one, to be expecting the enemy. To be expecting the enemy. In a word, vigilance versus complacence. Being on guard, being alert. And so in John 2, 18 and 19, we read this. Children, there's that term of affection. It is the last hour. Time is running out. And you have heard, you know, this is no surprise that Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, because of this, we know that it is in fact the last hour. How? In this case, they went out from us because they were not of us. They separated themselves from us. They left in a huff. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But instead, on the contrary, they went out that it might become plain that they are not all of us. There's a lot going on here, and we do not have the time in one sermon to unpack it all. I could do a series just on that but it just as Paul wrote to Timothy difficult days are ahead and then years later of course Nero and his successors in Rome attacked the church from without and other anti-Christians anti-Christ little a began to rise up from within you see that in Ephesus uh, excuse me in Galatia with the Judaizers you see that in Corinth with the people who thought they were superior to other people and made a mess forewarned should have been forearmed. Jude talks about people who have crept in unnoticed, right? And yet, these people were somehow caught off guard. 
You see, an antichrist, little a, somebody who's opposed to the truth, somebody who's looking to gain a following, somebody who has the wrong motive and serves the wrong God, they don't come in with horns and a little red jumpsuit, you know, the pointy tail and a pitchfork, and have the, the big A for antichrist emblazoned across their chest. You don't see them coming. That's the nature of what they do. They, do, they prefer to do their deeds in darkness out of the view of and the scrutiny of the leadership. And so they were caught off guard until the actions of these people betrayed themselves. They started teaching things. Well, you know, if this really is, Jesus really is the Christ, he wouldn't have had a physical body because, you know, spiritual and, you know, the physical things are bad, spiritual things are good. You know, are we sure about that? There's a movement within the Messianic uh, Jewish movement where you start out with the whole New Testament and then they dump Paul and then they keep working backwards until they get to the law. You know, not all churches are created equal. But we see here, but they went out that it might become plain that they were not, they were all, they are all, those who doubt Christ are all not of us. Sometimes God's people are patient to a fault. Sometimes they, they, you know, you're okay, I'm okay, let's look the other way so that we can get along. But doctrinal precision isn't sinful. Legalism is sinful. That's adding to the scriptures. Doctrinal precision is not sinful. It's an act of worship. And these people here in Ephesus, or to the church that John is writing to, they weren't mistaken or sloppy. They were heretical. They were deceivers. They were false teachers. How do we know? Well, one, their response, apparently at some point, they were confronted. And they were not teachable. They were not humble. And so they stormed out of the church, metaphorically speaking, being offended and challenged. I take great offense. Who are you to say? They were unreachable because they were unchristian, antichrists, little a. And so they traumatized the church. Jude warns about this in verse 4. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people. Now, when you're calling antichrist ungodly, let's just say these aren't the highest words of praise you're going to hear ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. These are antichrist little a. As we've discussed before, the Gnostics came into the church and laid out some of these uh, Greek philosophical platonic ideas about physical and spiritual and all this kind of stuff like that. And and said, you know, you can do what you, you can eat what you want, you can sleep with who you, you want to sleep with as long as you have the higher knowledge. People do the same today. It's my body. I'll do with what I want. But the truth was, the church should have been then and should be now on guard, expecting this. Because Jesus warned us about this, didn't he? Pastor Keith Crosby 
on today's edition of Grace to Live. We are so blessed that you've chosen to spend time with us today studying God's Word. And if you'd like more information on Pastor Keith or Hillside Church, here's how you can connect with us. Our mailing address is 545 Hillsdale Avenue in San Jose, California, 95136. The church office telephone line is area code 408-269-4782. And you can connect with us on our website, which is gracetoliveradio.org. There you can check out archived messages of past sermons and also listen to Pastor Keith's weekly blog. And please remember that the Grace to Live radio program is a listener-supported ministry outreach of Hillside Church if you'd like to partner with us financially. Again, all of these things are available to you on our website, gracetoliveradio.org. Also, I'd like to remind you that Pastor Keith and the staff here at Hillside always look forward to hearing from you. So if you'd like to drop us a note, you can email us here at keith at hillside.org. Well, we hope that you'll join us again next time for Grace to Live. But until then, I'm your host, Kevin Reeves. And on behalf of Pastor Keith and everyone here at Hillside Church, it is our prayer that the Lord will richly bless you. And thanks for listening. Every